Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Welcome into the show, Monday edition. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Tanner Hendrickson is our engineer. He is the brains behind this operation. Tanner, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, buddy. I did a little weird doing a uh, virtual one. Uh, with did you have a virtual one? We did, having the screen freeze up. And my uncle tried to pull the we're frozen, but we're not really frozen one. I, I caught him in the act. They also tried to switch seats without us knowing, but I caught that one too. What do you mean? He was trying to say it was frozen, but not so frozen. Like, they're eating, and all of a sudden I look, and they're not moving. And I'm like, oh, they must be frozen. And then I just saw a smile with the moment I said it. I was like, oh, wait a minute. They're just pretending. <laughs> tried to pull the fast one on the Hendrickson family, huh? That's right. Nice work by Uncle Hendrickson. Uh, my name is Dan McLaughlin. This is Scoops with Danny Mac. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, one of my favorite guests and one of my favorite people, and that is Dr. Rick Lehman. He is a good dude, and I uh, enjoy his candor when he comes on the air with us, and he's going to visit, talk about COVID-19. Now, I understand it's probably not one of the uh, juiciest subjects that you want to get into because... Um, you know what? We might be COVID-19 out, but it is front and center as it pertains to sports as we try to get through the pandemic. College basketball in full swing. The Billikens big weekend as they are now 2-0. and They beat LSU. Really good win for them. First televised game on Fox Sports Midwest will be on Saturday. We'll have that game for you. And um, hopefully we get to that game. No cancellations. We'll have that for you on Saturday. But had the win over LSU. That's a good win for SLU. They're now 2-0. They're starting to get votes for the top 25. We'll find out if they're in the top 25 coming up uh, later today. But they're a good team. They are a really, really good team. Let's give you some NFL news. And the NFL is fighting through their season. They're trying to get through uh, what is a very, very difficult year through COVID-19. And what they're doing is considering... Uh, their most dramatic action yet to prevent COVID-19 related disruptions as league officials are actively discussing creating local bubbles. And I think this is the way that they have to do it for 14 to 16 teams that make the playoffs. And it comes down to money. It comes down to obviously protecting players and coaches and personnel, but they want to get through the postseason. Big, big money on the line. And that would involve isolating all personnel in hotels except to go to and from team facilities, strictly enforcing limitations on who is permitted inside. And this is considered a more feasible solution than creating 32 separate bubbles for the remainder of the regular season or creating one large bubble in the mold of what the NBA and the NHL did. And no final decision has been made. And the NFLPA would also need to sign off. And that news coming out about a couple hours ago. So they're looking at doing that. Now, what are the 49ers going to do? They found out that they had become NFL nomads for at least the next three weeks. The same way the rest of the world found out Saturday afternoon via a news conference. The team was on its plane heading to L.A. to play the Rams when word spread that Santa Clara County had announced new COVID-19 related restrictions that put a three-week ban on all contact sports within county lines. Niners head coach Kyle Shanahan. We would love to stay in our hometown um, where our fans want us and um, playing in Levi's with no people there and only people that have been tested every single day for the last five months and 
Um, I get it. They made that decision and we got to deal with it. Um, but for them for, to find that out through a tweet or a press conference where I have an entire plane coming up to me, I have all wives, everyone's girlfriends, everyone's family members, kids saying that what they heard there, are we going to be gone for the entire month of December? Are we going to be quarantined for 14 days when we get back? I mean, that's all we could talk about for the last 18 hours um, because we got no answers from them. And I was just very disappointed and very proud of our guys um, that I couldn't give them the answers um, and they could put it to the side and come out and play like that. I, I got so much appre- pre- appreciation for our team and those players. Yeah, think about that. You find out on the plane and you know all your players are going up to you and saying, now wait a minute, I've got a wife, I've got uh, my kids, I've got Christmas coming up, and yes, we're paid handsomely. I get it. Um, but what am I supposed to do on Sunday when I get off the plane? What am I supposed to do? Where are we going? How are we supposed to figure out where we're going to practice? What am I doing with my family? I mean, that's tough, Tanner. That is not easy for the next three weeks. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) I don't know either. Um, And they go out and beat the Rams, by the way, which is impressive in itself. Stings a little bit. No, it doesn't. It's great. Um, But that is a hell of a win for them. And so now the NFL has that headache to deal with trying to figure out those games. And those games are big money. Let's face it. I mean, every game is big money. They don't want to see that come off the schedule. And so the 49ers figure out how to win that game. Jacksonville, they fired their GM, Dave Caldwell. After third consecutive season of double-digit losses, Caldwell has been the Jaguars' GM since January 2013. He's presided over only one winning season. Jags 39-86. and 39-86 and 86 in his tenure. Vandy, they fired their football coach, Derek Mason, on Sunday. 41-0 at Missouri. They dropped the Commodores to 0-8. Let's hear from uh, Eli Drinkowitz. This is Eli Drinkowitz, and uh, Mizzou is just getting better and better. Great team win today. Um, thought our defense really played lights out uh, to hold an SEC opponent under 200 yards and a shutout, forced a turnover, stopped him on that early fourth down, which led us to our first scoring drive of the game. Can't say enough about Coach Walters and the job that that defense has done the past two games. Really set up our football team to have some momentum and string some wins together. Offensively, I thought we played efficient. Obviously, Larry Roundtree had a big day. Wanted to get Tyler Beatty involved more, and we did that. And, uh, you know, thought we, we converted some early third downs, which helped put us in position to score points. I don't know about you. Mizzou's getting better and better. Now, Vandy is winless this year. I get it. They're not very good. Matter of fact, they're awful. But Mizzou is getting better and better and better. I like what he's doing. I really do. That's a good team. They're getting better and better and better. They're making improvements. Eli Drinkwitz getting the job done in the most difficult of circumstances in his first year. Left-handed starter, there is some baseball news. Mike Miner and the Royals are in agreement on a two-year deal. Uh, So that is a little baseball news. Mike Miner and Kansas City in agreement on a two-year deal. The date is November 30th, so December 2nd. That is the big deal in baseball. That is when... You have the potential of another flood of players coming out because uh, that's when guys are either going to be tendered or non-tendered in baseball. That's going to be a whole bunch of players hitting the market. There could be some news, by the way, with Colton Wong. There was a report that uh, Wong could get a deal with Toronto. Toronto's looking at DJ LeMayhew. 
If they don't get him, report was that that is their second choice, potentially Colton Wong. We'll see if that plays out in that regard. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, a friend of mine that I really like talking to, and that is Dr. Rick Lehman here on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. I always love visiting with Rick Lehman, doctor, U.S. Senator for Sports Medicine right here in Kirkwood, Missouri, and he's a member of both the St. Louis and Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, orthopedic surgeon, but is on so many different boards and obviously front and center right now with sports of just not trying to uh, compete and win and move on. It's just trying to have games because of COVID-19, and Rick is uh, obviously front and center with that as well. Hey, uh, Doc, always great to visit with you. How are things going? And hopefully uh, everybody's safe and healthy in your family. You know, so far, so good. Everybody has been safe. And uh, it's interesting. Right now we're looking at possibly a shutdown for elective surgery, which is a hardship for a lot of people and a hardship for the country. So from that standpoint of view, I think healthcare has its own issues. A lot of staff don't want to come back to work. They're nervous. So Some of it is, yes, there's a lot of COVID, there's a lot of patients that are sick, but some of it is a lot of hospitals are just understaffed across the country because people, like you said, are reticent to come back to work and are nervous about getting the virus. In in terms of being a doctor, and you're an orthopedic surgeon, but yet you're you're trained in many different areas, are you almost on call for all these different things is, is, you know, like when this first hit and it was exploding, and now it seems like it's exploding again, but... Were they basically saying to you that the general medical community, hey, be ready on a moment's notice. If you get a call, we need you to mask up, get to that hospital, that general hospital, and help us out. Absolutely. We're also on a call team nationally, so we take we field calls at night. And, you know, the other problem is when you're an orthopedic surgeon, you're taking care of pro athletes. Those pro athletes have all the faith in you. They have, there's a relationship. So they'll call you at 2, 3 in the morning, and they'll say, hey, my girlfriend tested positive or I tested positive or my mom's got a cough. So that's one component. And the other component is you have to be ready as just a general doctor. Right. Because when that, when that shortage hits, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an orthopedic surgeon, a heart surgeon or a pediatrician, you know, you have skills and you have to kind of get those skills in order. You got to go to work. How do you think sports has handled this? Generally speaking, the last time that we talked, it was right before the football season uh, we were wondering whether or not there would be a college football season because at that time, Doc, you may remember we were saying, well, how are you going to huddle? You know, how, how are you going to hit across the line from each other? Those kind of things, contact sports. So in general, how do you think sports has handled COVID-19? Well, I actually think sports have, have done pretty well. Um, maybe college football, the worst. They've canceled games. They've had a lot of positive tests. They've had some travel issues. But if you look at the NBA, the NHL, and even Major League Baseball, I think they've handled it as well as you can handle it because this is newfound territory. And I actually think they're learning from it. Now, the one good thing that we're seeing is even though the numbers are exploding and they are exploding, the virus is less virulent, meaning less people are dying, fewer people are getting really, really sick. So that part's good. And I think we're learning from our mistakes. And I think that's good. But in general, given the fact that the country, I think, has done somewhat poorly, you know, some people have worn masks, some people have abided by the system, some people haven't. I think sports actually has done as well as you can expect. You, you mentioned 
we learn from our mistakes. What were the mistakes that we were, were doing before that we're not doing maybe now? Well, I think, first of all, I think everybody realizes, hey, you have to wear a mask. Pretty simple, kind of basic. But, yes, people are a little bit more in tune to that. Number two, people are a lot closer to accepting social distancing. You go to a restaurant, you go to places, and, you know, people are a little bit more standoffish. And I think we're learning from that. And I think a lot more people are taking this seriously. And the reason is, you know, let's say you're a 26-year-old baseball player. You're probably not all that worried about getting covid or getting sick. But if your mom gets it, or your grandmother gets it, you're, you're, you see those people and you see those people that don't do well. And probably everybody knows somebody or has a relationship somewhere where someone may have died or gotten really sick. So based on that, I think there's more respect. And I think we've learned from that. I also think we're doing a lot better treating it and we're doing a lot better prophylaxing against it, meaning there's things out there you can take that are going to limit your chances of getting it. Let's dive into that. So we have a lot of people listening. What are the things that uh, you can do as an average American to to help you combat COVID-19? What are some of the things you can take? Well, the number one thing I think everybody should be taking is this silver, colloidal silver, zinc combination. And, And that seems to be the number one thing that people are showing or research groups are showing that limit your exposure. So zinc coupled with colloidal silver, you can get it on the Internet probably number one. Number two, vitamin D3. Everybody should be taking vitamin D3. You can get it anywhere. Very inexpensive. Everybody should be taking magnesium. Done easy. Doesn't cost you hardly anything. Everybody should be taking an aspirin. Why to take an aspirin? Because if you get the disease, it's a lung disease. It's a clotting disease in your lung. And so what's going to happen is if you're on aspirin, you're not going to clot and your lungs are not going to be as effective. So pretty simple. And then the last thing, which may or may not make a difference, is everybody probably should be taking a little bit of vitamin C. There have been some early studies and some late studies showing that vitamin C probably does help you in the face of having COVID. Dr. Rick Lehman is my guest, U.S. Center for Sports Medicine, one of the outstanding medical people that we have uh, here in the Midwest and in the country. And there's so many things I want to get into, Doc. Um, You talk to doctors across the country can you give us an idea what doctors and nurses, these frontline workers, what they're going through day to day? We hear the stories of of just how tired they are, how worn out they are. They're exhausted. They are heroes. Um, what's it like being on the front lines dealing with COVID-19 if you're in a hospital? Well, it's awful because, number one, you never know when you're going to get it. And, you know, they, they gown up and they put on their PPE, their protective gear. But when you're dealing with lots and lots of people that have COVID, and I, and I have friends that are on a COVID floor. I talked to a doctor this week. She works in Columbia, Columbia, New York. Probably 80% of her patients are COVID patients, and probably a significant number of these have significant diseases. And what she tells me is, one, it's the most depressing thing you've ever seen in your life. People are dying every day. The morgue is filled. They're putting dead bodies in refrigerated trucks etc. All the horror stories you hear. She's on the front line. She does this all the time. She never misses a shift, meaning she's working 12 hours out of every 24. She's been doing this for a year now, probably since February or March. It's almost a year. And she said it's the most depressing, taxing thing, not physically, but mentally. She goes home. She's constantly crying. It's just a terrible lifestyle for these, these healthcare workers. Number two, you're always... 
at risk. You know, your whole day is at risk. You never relax. You don't really ever take a break. You can't ever feel good. So these, you know, the people out there don't really know that the, what these people go through, but it's so mentally taxing, it's very difficult. And could you imagine working half the day, every day from February to now? I mean, that, you know, you never get a day off. There's no Sunday. There was no Thanksgiving for her, et cetera. So these people, and these people are vital. If they don't work, you know, what happens? I mean, everybody dies. It's incredible. They, they are to be applauded and thanked every single day. Um, we're hearing about vaccines. And, and, Doc, I'm curious, just your thought generally on just the, the rapid speed that we've been able to, to hear about a vaccine get done in under a year. I mean, this truly is remarkable to have this happen, isn't it? Well, it's never happened before. Vaccines normally take three, four years. Why is that? Well, the reason is you're going to give this vaccine to 200 million people in America, 250 million, depending on the numbers you read. And you know that if one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent don't work, they get some disease, they get sick, they get the disease itself, you know, they're going to be either very sick or die. So even though that's a small percentage, that might be 100,000 people. So you have to be very careful when you break out a vaccine that it's going to be safe for everybody. And that remains to be seen. It's one thing to give it to, well, the, the Pfizer study, 164 people. Uh, the Moderna study, probably around 10,000 people. Well, that's a lot different than 200 million people. And I think because of that, a lot of people in the country are going to say, you know what, I'm going to wait and see what happens. Let me see how everybody else does on this vaccine. And I'll take it if everybody else does well. But breaking the vaccine out and doing the research and having a vaccine this soon, again, those people need to be applauded because really that's the answer to this problem. So at this point, uh, the vaccine would hit maybe in about, uh, what, seven to ten days? Is that right? Or two weeks? Is that correct? On the money, two weeks. Yeah. And and how would that get rolled out? What are you hearing in terms of how they would do this? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is healthcare providers are going to get it. People on the front lines are going to get it, and people at high risk are going to get it. And the high risk will be the second phase. So if you're a healthcare worker, you're probably going to get it in, in the next 10 to 14 days. If you're 83 years old and you have some comorbidities, you're probably going to get it somewhere in the second or third week in January. And then it's going to filter out from there. Now, the average American who's healthy and who's you know maybe had it or hasn't had the disease is probably not really realistically going to get it to the spring. Can you have herd immunity once you roll out the uh, the vaccine, Doc, where you, you get a number of people that, that have it, uh, have the vaccine, and then all of a sudden, you know, herd immunity can take over with this as well? Well, it's a double whammy. It's perfect because, number one, you have X amount of people that have had the disease, and the number obviously keeps growing. So that's what herd immunity is, everybody getting a little touch of the, the disease itself and building antibodies against it. And what the vaccine does is it just hurries up herd immunity. Now, 100 million people or 150 million people have a little piece of the vaccine. They make antibodies. Maybe they give it to all their family members. But in a very, very small dose, they make antibodies. So, yes, you're going to have herd immunity once you, you get to about 110, 115 million vaccines out there in the community. And, and pretty much you're going to have a situation where most people will have a little piece of that vaccine and have some antibodies. And that's how it's supposed to work. We'll see what happens. Hey, Doc, if you could uh, stay with us through the break. I, I was only going to have you on for one segment, but 
There's so much to get into, and this is so interesting, and I think it's really good information uh, for our listening audience. Dr. Rick Lehman is my guest, and uh, we'll have more coming up in a moment. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Let's continue our conversation with Dr. Rick Lehman from the U.S. Center for Sports Medicine right here in St. Louis, a member of both the St. Louis and Missouri Sports Hall of Fames, orthopedic surgeon, but also on many, many boards dealing with uh, COVID-19, how it affects sports, how it affects our everyday life, and uh, just in general, some of the information about uh, COVID-19. Doc, thanks for sticking with us through the break. I, I really appreciate it because I think it's great information Uh, for our listening audience, and I find it incredibly, incredibly interesting uh, in what's happening with our country. So we all want to get back to to normalcy. Every one of us wants to have our lives back and and have it back to be what the normal life would be like, whatever that is in our everyday lives. So can we get back to that with the vaccine that we were just talking about prior to the break? Can Can that happen in uh, let's say early spring or spring in general or the summer. Can can that happen? Well, that's early. I mean, I, I don't know about the spring or the summer. So I, I would say if everything really works well in a year, and, and again, back to normal is going to be people are always going to be a little nervous, you know, bailing up to the bar with a bunch of people they don't know or going to a movie or going to a concert. There's always there's going to be a little lingering effect. And, and young people, millennials, they're not going to worry about it. but you know, people that are 45 or 50, that's always going to be in the back of their mind. But in terms of restaurants opening up, malls opening up, everybody going back to work, you know, because that's going to be a big factor. I think you're probably looking at fall, probably fall of 21, maybe winter of 21. Doc, um, in terms of, of uh, and I'm not sure what you're hearing, though, about this. So say you want to go to a concert or you want to go to a uh, you want to go to the big house and watch, you know, with 110,000 people and go watch a football game. And you say, hey, I got my ticket. I'm ready to go. I want to go see the concert. There they are. There's Paul McCartney. There's, you know, 80,000 people. Um, how do I get in? I mean, what what are people saying to you? Do you are you going to have, like, on your phone your ticket and then something that shows that you've taken the vaccine or or, or that you're – negative how do you think this is going to work well i i think for big events you're going to have two things that are going to happen people are going to have to get tested and that's going to be the same case when you re- re-enter the country or maybe you were in california now you rent re-enter want to go back to new york so there's this isn't going to be just going to see paul mccartney i get you this is this is going to be you know the standard and what's going to happen is you're going to have to test for that event you're going to have to test within a certain amount of days probably going to be 21 days and you're going to get a little notification on your phone or a little banner on your phone. It's going to say Danny Mac tested negative. And, you know, here we are in the fifth row. There's Paul. Wow. This is amazing. (laughs) I think that, I think that this is going to become the standard, I think, to get into certain restaurants and and certain events where there's crowds of people or what we call herds of people, then you're going to have to have some identification that you're negative. And then finally, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, so many of us are parents, and so, you know, we think about kids and what's happening with schools. And there's a couple of questions I want to ask about this, but the first one would be um, the vaccination for children. When when do you think that would roll out and the ages for vaccines for kids? 
Well, the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to prove that this thing is safe in the general population, sure. i.e. In, in, in people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. And once that happens, you know, it's going to be a smaller dose for kids. It's going to be prorated somewhat. So a five-year-old is going to get a smaller dose, obviously, than a 15-year-old. And they're probably not going to start the vaccinations for kids um, in, I would say, 12 or 13 years old. If you're seeing more young kids get it, um, you might go down to seven, but most likely it's probably going to be kind of in the formative years, getting getting a little older. So I would say 12, 11, 12 years old. Uh, kids under two will never get it. And probably you're going to see so few kids with a problem with disease under the age of 12, which is what we've seen. Unless that changes, the vaccine's probably going to start, you know, just in about that age range, kind of going from the sixth grade to the seventh grade. Um, and, I, and I think that they're going to be the last to get it because they're the least at risk. And, and Doc, kind of a, a full, broad question, and, and uh, I see it with kids. Um, I've got four little kids, but I, I see it with all kinds of kids, and this isn't pertaining to mine, but just a general question about kids and inactivity because kids are going to school virtually. They don't have that carrot out there of saying, hey, I'm on the dance team or I'm on the basketball or the football team or maybe the baseball team, and they they will want to go to school and get the good grades so that they can go compete. Um, are you finding depression numbers? And, and a general question about society of how this has affected people and just mentally and what's happening right now. So, so this is the biggest untalked about subject across the board and i see it every day you know kids that were unbelievable athletes outstanding basketball players outstanding football players or sports got shut down or they were just great students or their their sports got shut down they're they come in i i talk to them and I'm, i ask questions like what's it like doing virtual school six or seven hours a day and what you're seeing is is withdrawal you're going to definitely see psychological overlay from this this uh, whole year of, of being inside. Some parents tell me the kids don't get off the couch. They play Fortnite literally 14 hours a day, and then they go to sleep and wake up and start again. They're not able to go out and play, the, like you said, the sport or the violin or piano or whatever their deal is. And you're seeing weight gain. You're seeing kids withdrawn. And you're going to see kind of a PTSD, post-traumatic uh, stress psychological syndrome across the board and that percentage is going to be somewhere between 26 and 27 percent of the kids you're seeing increased incidence of suicides in these kids and these are again things you don't really hear about no one's really reporting this but from a day-to-day -day practice when i see these kids and they were pretty good athletes or they were very excited about the upcoming basketball season they've gained 35 pounds and the last thing they want to do is go out and work out it's just a changed athlete god i i hate hearing that it's got to be tough for you, a guy that loves sports and deals with these athletes, to be dealing with that too. Oh, it's, it's brutal because, and, and and you see the kid sitting in the corner and he's playing, you know, Angry Birds on his phone. He doesn't yeah. look at you. And this was a kid that would come in and be so happy to see you and ask you, you know, about that picture of Danny Mac on the wall and who's that. And so the question is, is there something we can do as a country to try to treat these kids? Because this is this is a true psychosis. What do you think? I'm gonna. I'm so fascinated with this, Doc. So I got one more question. What do you think it's going to be like in five years from now when we look back on this and some of the studies and the things that come out of it? I, I'm just. I, I'm fascinated by what we when we come out of this, and we will. But just some of the studies that will will come out of this and what those studies will show. 
Well, you're going to see a graded situation. You're going to see really young kids do fine. So the kids that are five and six, you know, they're resilient. They're going to do fine. You're going to see the kids that were 13 and 14, 15, they're going to have a tough time. So they're going to have permanent uh, deficiencies from this. And, and it, not every kid. Some kids, you know, parents were very positive. They homeschooled. They took them out to the park. They did all the things that you could do that the Internet told you to do, that Rick Lehman told you to do. And, and they're okay, you know, constantly giving them input, not letting them sit around, not letting them gain weight. But you're going to have a, a significant number of, of, of kids, and they're going to have post whatever you want to call it, depression, post-COVID depression. And those kids are going to have a tough time in life. They're going to have lesser SAT scores. You're going to go to college. You're going to see higher number of kids in jail. You're going to see increases in crime. Because you can't, you can't do this to a whole generation of kids, walk away and say, hey, no harm, no foul. That's not going to happen. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Hey, Doc, awesome stuff. I really appreciate your time. And uh, let's stay in touch. Be safe, be healthy, and uh, Merry Christmas to you too, by the way. Merry Christmas. Listen, I really appreciate it. Take care. It's Dr. Rick Lehman from the U.S. Center for Sports Medicine right here in St. Louis. And, Doc, again, uh, thank you so much uh, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. and BK, they're coming up next. Our thanks to Dr. Rick Lehman for checking in and some interesting uh, information on COVID-19, how it's affected sports. And if you want to hear or if you missed any of the uh, show, the podcast will be coming up and that's uh, presented by I Promise. Ribs is in. And what do you guys have coming up on the show? Well, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about football today and we're going to visit uh, some Yachtier Molina rumors that are going around. Yeah. Talk a little Adam Wainwright and... Uh, all around down, we're just going to have a good time here on Monday. What about hockey? Where are, where are we at with hockey? I mean, the <laughs> clock is ticking, man. If we're going to get to January 1st, uh, you know, we're almost in December, so training camp's got to get going here pretty soon. Yeah, uh, I think January 1st could be in really jeopardy. In jeopardy. Uh, but I do know that the majority of the guys are back in their cities skating. A lot of guys are back in town here in St. Louis on the ice three, four times a week. Guys are, from Europe are making their way back over the ocean to kind of get ready for this. So I, I do think, it, listen, it's going to come down to being safe. It's not going to come down to the money. I think that at the end of the day, the players and the owners are going to sort it all out behind closed doors, avoid the media stuff that goes on with it. And I think they'll get a, a resolution done and go from there. If you're a player from Europe and you play for a Canadian team, you would have to be on a plane probably now if a training camp is going to start in a week or two, correct? Yeah, guys, like I said, guys are already on the plane coming yeah. over, uh, over the ocean, rather. And then they got a quarantine for, what, 10 to 14 days right. before they enter Canada. Uh, and then they have to test negative again. It's it's a process, that's for sure. But, yeah, guys are officially making their way back. I know some guys played their last games on the weekend for some of the European leagues that they were playing in to stay in shape. And um, So, like I said, I think that with that being said, guys coming over, that means the PA is talking to the players, telling them, hey, look, let's get our stuff together here because 
We're going to start soon. When that is to be determined. But let's just say this. We're hopeful we're having hockey this year. We'll have hockey. Yeah. There's no doubt we'll have hockey uh, this year. What it's going to look like as far as what we're used to, uh, it's probably going to be a lot like Major League Baseball was, where we're not sure what the divisions are going to be. Everybody's speculating certain things. There's certainly only going to be a Canadian division because those teams won't be able to travel. Uh, So it won't be what we're accustomed to. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We'll have hockey and we'll have you know the best players in the world going at it, trying to get to the Stanley Cup. All right, Alex filling in for uh, BK. He's got the day off. Rivs, BK, Alex coming up next on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.